Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. Each week on this podcast, we give you simple strategies to improve your body, mind, and well-being. This week, do early mammograms mean less invasive breast cancer treatment? We talk to an expert. Next, some health hazards you should watch out for this summer. And a new study sheds light on how certain beauty products may affect your health. Then, why you need a midday snooze. And finally, a surprising mood booster. Stay with us. If you're due for your routine mammogram, or maybe if you're tempted to put it off, you'll want to listen to this story. Hopefully your mammogram won't show anything that turns out to be cancer, but if it does, your treatment might not have to be as aggressive if you get screened sooner rather than later. And that news comes from a study of more than 1,100 women aged 40 and older. The researchers looked at things like how big the tumors were, who got chemotherapy, and who needed a mastectomy and that is surgery to remove the whole breast. The women who got a mammogram within two years of their diagnosis tended to have smaller tumors and were less likely to need chemotherapy or a mastectomy compared to those who'd waited longer or who had never had a mammogram. Now, the study doesn't prove that the timing was the only thing that mattered, but all things being equal, most women would choose not to have to go through aggressive treatment, according to the lead researcher. Now, maybe just the words breast cancer stress you out, so just take a breath. Most of the time, you get the all clear and some peace of mind after a screening mammogram. And while mammograms aren't perfect, they're still the best first step in finding out if there's something your doctor wants to take a look at. So, there's a lot of conflicting advice when it comes to when to get a mammogram. So we have Dr. Neha Pathak, our medical editor, to give us a little bit of clarity. Welcome back, Dr. Pathak. Hi, Carrie. There's a lot of controversy when it comes to when to get a mammogram. There's different expert professional groups that recommend different ages when you should get your first mammogram. Let's get, tell us a little bit about that controversy and also does this study change that advice? So I think the, this study aligns with some of what we already know. There is no controversy about the fact that mammograms and screening with mammograms can save lives. Definitely. So the benefit of the mammogram is that you can find a cancer relatively early and treat it with less aggressive treatment and that would potentially save people's lives. So no one is, is um, there's no debate that a no mammogram debating. is a good thing. That's right. Nobody's <laughs> debating that. The controversy is really about when does this benefit outweigh the risks okay. and the drawbacks. So there are certain drawbacks to being screened. You know, starting with the discomfort. Mm-hmm. For some women, that can be quite significant. Sure. So we don't want to minimize that. The other is anxiety or the stress related to going in and having this test and potentially having finding something and then waiting to figure out what that is. Gotcha. And then two others that we need to think about are overdiagnosis. So this is where there may be something that is abnormal early breast cancer that would never affect you in your life. So that would be there. You would go on with your life. You would live your life and never know that it was there. And then the other issue is false positives. So this is where it's something else, and now we have to subject you to biopsies, additional stress um, to figure out what that is. The other thing to remember is the mammogram 
itself as a test gets better as women age. So we're really trying to find the sweet spot for when the, the test is really good at finding something that is breast cancer and when women are at risk for actually having breast cancer and not something else. So we want to optimize the benefits, the ability to find the cancer if it's there, and then we want to diminish the drawbacks. I see. Okay, that's interesting. That's a tough balance to have to strike. So how does a woman know when she should start getting mammograms or how often to get them? So this is a great question, and this is where some of that controversy comes into play because different expert groups have different opinions about when women should get started with screening. So let's start with where there is no controversy, where most of these groups actually agree. So the groups agree that if you're a woman 50 and over in the general risk category, then you should start screening at 50. And then the question comes, how often should you screen? Um, and there the expert groups differ again as to whether it should be every year or every other year. If you are a woman that is high risk, so high risk women are women that have a personal history of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, a very close relative with breast cancer. Like a mother or a sister or... Exactly. Okay. Exactly. First degree relative. Mm -hmm. Or you have the BRCA, the BRCA mutation or other mutations that are known to increase risk for breast cancer. Now that is a high risk group of people, so the screening guidelines in that situation are different and would be handled by someone that manages high risk patients and uh, a genetic counselor would likely be involved. So they would be the ones to tell you, hey, you should probably think about getting a mammogram now that you are this age. The age, yes. Yeah, so the age would vary for that group. The types of um, treatments, prophylactic things that could be done to prevent a breast cancer would be different in that situation. Hmm. So if we're talking about the general population, um, then the age that is more controversial is between 40 and 50. So here, really, it's what we call shared decision-making. Shared decision-making is where you start talking and having a conversation with your doctor about what you would like to do. So you talk about whether or not you're the kind of person that would prefer to be screened and you would be okay with the stress, the anxiety, the potential risks for the false positives, um, and all of the consequences that would come from that. Or you may be someone who says, you know what, I'm okay right now, let's keep having this discussion and we will start screening at a later point. The important thing is really talking it through and figuring out what works for you. There is no controversy, like I said, once you're 50, we really recommend that you start with the mammogram, the screening mammography. It's time to start getting those routine checks. There may be a lot of women who think, well, it doesn't run in my family, I don't have a personal, I've never had breast cancer before, so I'm just gonna put the hold on the mammograms and, and or just put it off and deal with it another time. What would you say to women who sort of maybe feel like they don't necessarily want to, you know, stick with the guidelines or just the, the stress, you know, gets to them, I think. And the important thing to know there is the majority of breast cancers are not in people that inherit it 
from some genetic mutation.、Hmm. It's really something that happens over time, and these are new mutations that happen. So that does not work <laughs> as a reason to delay getting your mammogram. You're not safe if you if there's no history of breast cancer in your family. Correct. I see. That makes sense. That's some great advice from Dr. Neha Pathak. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Summer is here, and whether you're planning to hit the beach, the great outdoors, or your own backyard, we're here with some easy ways to avoid everyday dangers. For starters, heat really can make you sick. You could get heat exhaustion, or the more serious version, heat stroke. It's especially hard on kids and older people because their bodies don't cool off as well. To keep yourself and someone you love cooler, wear loose clothes, don't exercise at the hottest part of the day, and stay hydrated. Keep an eye out for the symptoms that could be signs of trouble: cramps, nausea, and pale, moist skin. If you notice them, get out of the heat, drink plenty of fluids, but not any that have caffeine or alcohol, and put cool cloths on your skin. Call 911 if you aren't getting better and you have more serious symptoms, such as a high fever, a fast heart rate, warm, dry skin, confusion, changes in behavior, or convulsions. Not only should you be careful with heat, it's also essential to protect your skin from the sun, which will help you prevent skin cancer and even signs of aging. It's pretty easy to stay safe, though. Always wear sunscreen and avoid the sun's strongest rays, which happen during the middle part of the day. Wear clothes that protect your arms and legs, and a hat that shields your face, ears, and neck. Also, reapply sunscreen every two hours, or more often if you're swimming or getting sweaty. Remember, there's no such thing as a waterproof sunscreen. Of course, it wouldn't be summer without outdoor cooking, but just follow a few simple rules. Keep your grill away from buildings and branches. Don't let grease build up, and never leave the grill unattended. Keep your kids and pets away from it. If you have a propane grill, test it for leaks before the season starts. And if you ever smell gas while you're cooking, get away from the grill and call the fire department. Summer can also be prime time for injuries, like from your lawnmower. Thousands of people actually are injured each year using lawnmowers. To make sure you aren't one of them, keep your mower in good repair and protect your eyes, legs, hands, and feet when you're using it. Always shut it off to check for problems. Those blades are sharp and they move fast. And never use your hands to clear debris from the blades. If you're using a riding mower, move up and down on the hills, not sideways. That will keep you from tipping over. And never let your kids ride with you on the mower. Keep them inside until you're done. Also, be sure to protect your feet. Flip-flops are great for the pool, the beach, or the locker room, but. Don't run, walk long distances, or play sports in them. You could sprain an ankle. If you can bend your flip-flop in half, that means it's too flimsy to support your foot. When you do wear flip-flops, look for a pair that's sturdy and made of high-quality leather. Puncture wounds also happen more often in the summer when bare feet can meet nails, glass, toothpicks, and seashells. The biggest problem is infection, so keep your eye out for signs that you need quick medical attention. Things like heat, swelling, and drainage in that area. You may also need to update your tetanus shot. And if you decide to cool off with a swim, be sure you're playing it safe around the water. To keep kids safe, teach them to swim and always watch them closely when they're at the pool. Also, you can put a fence around your pool at home. To keep grown-ups safe, don't drink alcohol in and around the water. It affects your balance and your judgment.
If you're headed to the shore, choose a beach with a lifeguard. They can keep an eye on you when you're in the water, and they can tell you about water conditions. They might talk about terms like rip currents, which can pull even strong swimmers out to sea. There's also shore breaks, which happen when waves break directly onto the beach, and sneaker waves, which can come out of nowhere and sweep people away who are standing on dry land. Bottom line, summer's much more fun when everyone is safe, so keep these tips in mind and enjoy the season. If you're headed to the pool to cool off this summer, safety is probably top of mind. You've packed the sunscreen, and you're going to keep a close eye on your kids, right? But there's something else you may not have thought about, making sure the pool is clean. That chlorine smell that makes you think the pool is really clean? That's not chlorine. It's urine and sweat mixed with chlorine. Most pools have urine in them, and a lot of it. Scientists calculated that a commercial-sized swimming pool had about 20 gallons of urine in it. And a residential pool, about 20 by 40 feet and about 5 feet deep, had 2 gallons of urine. That is a lot of urine. And while that on its own isn't a risk for swimmers, when urine and sweat react with chlorine, they create a toxic compound that can be harmful to your health. And it also leaves less chlorine to kill germs in the pool. Another more serious problem is fecal matter in the pool. It washes off of people's bodies when they swim, and it can carry germs that can cause digestive illnesses. Swallowing a mouthful of infected water can make you sick with diarrhea, cramps, and nausea for up to three weeks. We're not saying that you shouldn't go to the pool, or that it's not safe for your family, but there are some steps you can take to make sure your neighborhood pool is healthy. First, check to see if your pool has been inspected. You can see if it's been cited or closed for violations, and if it has, consider another, healthier pool. You should also do your part to keep the pool clean. So that means use the bathroom before you get in the pool, and make sure your kids go as well. Rinse off in the shower before you get in the pool to remove any sweat or urine that might be on your body or your kids' bodies. Don't pee in the pool, and teach your kids not to do it either. Also, if your child is sick with diarrhea or some other digestive problem, don't let them swim. And don't swallow water when you're in the pool. If you have a weaker immune system, talk to your doctor before you take a swim. And when you're at the pool, also take your kids on regular bathroom breaks, and if they wear diapers, check them regularly. A new study on hair care products found that those marketed to black women contain endocrine disruptors, which are chemicals that can interfere with hormones. Endocrine disruptors have been associated with problems like birth defects, asthma, and cancer. The researchers looked at 18 different hair care products, including hot oil treatments, leave-in conditioners, hair lotions, and hair relaxers, and found a total of 45 of these chemicals some of which are banned in Europe and regulated in California. And 80% of the chemicals weren't even listed on the label. Here to talk more about the findings and what it means for women's health is one of the study's authors, Dr. Jessica Helm of the Silent Spring Institute. Hi, Dr. Helm. Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining us today. What is the link between the chemicals that you found in these hair care products and black women's health? First, it's important to note that black women actually suffer disproportionately from hormone-related health problems. 
This includes uterine fibroids, early puberty, infertility, and rising rates of endometrial and breast cancers. So we want to know uh, whether hair product chemicals could be contributing to these hormone-related health problems that are observed in black women. We know from previous research that black women use more of certain kinds of hair products and that black women have higher levels of some consumer product chemicals in their bodies compared with other women. So the first step to answering this question about whether hair product chemicals could be contributing to health problems is to actually test the products to see whether they contain ingredients that might be linked to hormone-related health effects, um, including those consumer product chemicals that have been previously found at higher levels in black women. So as you said, we found dozens of endocrine-disrupting chemicals in hair products that are used by black women, and that includes seven chemicals that are banned from personal care products in the EU or regulated by the state of California. And this is concerning because endocrine-disrupting chemicals can mimic or disrupt hormones in the body. Um, and as you stated, they're associated with multiple health effects, including reproductive disorders and birth defects, um, as well as cancer. Um, and we did find the same chemicals in these products that are found at higher levels in black women, suggesting that these products could potentially be a source of exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals in women and potentially contribute to health effects. And one of the alarming things I thought that you found was that um, a lot of these, or there were products for children that had some of the highest levels of these chemicals. Yeah, that's right. The, the highest levels of five of the chemicals that were banned or regulated were actually found in products that were marketed to children. And this is particularly concerning because there are certain stages of life, childhood, adolescence, and pregnancy, in which we're particularly susceptible to the effects of these chemicals. For example, we know that exposure to environmental chemicals early in life can actually increase the risk of diseases like breast cancer later in life. This is because during times like puberty, the body is changing, and this makes it vulnerable to the effects of chemicals. So it's particularly concerning to see uh, higher levels in those products for children. Hmm. And these chemicals are known to be in lots of different beauty products. So what's different about the chemicals in products aimed at black women? Well, it's important to, to reiterate that black women use different hair products, such as relaxer and hair lotions, but this is in addition to commonly used hair products like shampoo and conditioner. It's also important to note that people are not just exposed to one chemical in isolation. Each of these products contain between 40, sorry, between four and 30 of these chemicals of concern and women are, are exposed to more chemicals from other products, from other sources. And since these chemicals have effects in combination, we're concerned about the mixtures that women are exposed to. These products add up and they appear to be adding up more in black women, potentially because of these products in part. That's very interesting. If you use these hair care products, should you be worried about your health? We look at this from really a precautionary standpoint. We, when we know that products are a major source of these chemicals in people's bodies, and that endocrine disrupting chemicals can have effects at low doses, it, it makes sense to take a precautionary approach. When there's evidence that they might cause harm, why not take steps to reduce exposures? And not all of the chemicals you found were listed on the label, so it's kind of hard for consumers to know what, you know, what is even in the products that they're using. What steps can people take to reduce their exposure to these chemicals? That's true. Many of the many of the chemicals that we detected in these products were actually not listed on the product label. However, we did find that parabens, which is a class of chemicals that are uh, used as preservatives and to prevent um, microbes in the products, as well as fragrance chemicals, 
did tend to be labeled with either the word paraben for parabens or the term fragrance for fragrance chemicals. So by looking for those two terms on a product label, women can help to identify products that may not have, sorry, by avoiding those, those names on the label, women can help to avoid products that may contain those ingredients. In addition, previous research from our organization has found that products that are made with plants or with organic ingredients tend to have fewer of the types of chemicals that we identified in these products. So looking for products made from plants or with organic ingredients can help potentially help to reduce exposures as well. In addition to that, women that are interested in reducing their exposure can also look for opportunities to use fewer products overall. We, we actually worked with partner organizations to develop tips that are especially relevant for black women's hair care. And we integrated these tips into our mobile app, which is um, available for free from detoxmeapp.org. And that app offers actions that individuals can take to reduce their exposures. And it's a particularly good tool for medical professionals to be aware of, to have on hand to share with patients that might be interested in this. This is great information on a very important study. Thank you so much, Dr. Jessica Helm, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. If you've ever had a bad night's sleep or an exhausting week, you know the power of a solid nap to get you going again. But there's a lot of evidence that a midday snooze is a good part of a daily routine, too. There's a lot of benefits to napping, actually. They can make you more alert and focused. If you have a long to-do list ahead of you, a nap can help you perform better. They can give you quicker reaction times and a better memory. A nice snooze can also do wonders for your mood. It's a good way to make yourself feel refreshed, relaxed, and rejuvenated. But it does help to do naps the right way. There's a couple of tips to keep in mind. Long naps can feel luxurious, but they're most effective if you keep them short, about 10 to 30 minutes. That'll keep you from feeling too foggy or disoriented after you wake up. If you do need to sleep for longer, it's best to go for 90 minutes. That's enough time to make it through a cycle of REM sleep, which can help your brain solve creative problems. It's also a good idea to time your naps right. Try to take them around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. A lot of people feel a bit sleepy at this time of day anyway. Plus, naps at this time are less likely to keep you from falling asleep at night. And if you can, curl up in a dark, cool, quiet room. That'll give you the best chance to get some rest. For our tweak of the week this week, try singing, really. Whether it's in the car, the shower, at karaoke, in a group or a choir, singing has a host of health benefits. It reduces stress and anxiety and can help you feel happier. Some research even suggests that singing may help reduce snoring. So go ahead and belt out your favorite tunes in the car, whether or not anyone is listening. 